This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue our adventures in Acts with The Gospel Comes to Corinth, Persecution in Corinth, Paul Returns to Antioch, Apollos, and Two Years in Ephesus. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. He offers all his treasure of justice, truth, and righteousness, his love beyond our measure, his yearning pity or distress, nor treats us as we merit, but sets his anger Stanza two of the hymn, My Soul Now Praise Your Maker. It is a paraphrase of Psalm 103, and it's the hymn of the day for this coming Sunday, according to the three-year lectionary. As high as heaven above us, as dawn from close of day, so far since he has loved us, he puts our sins away. A Sunday that's about the restoration of sinners. Greetings and welcome to Issues Etc., live on this Tuesday afternoon, September the 5th. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. We'll be looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer. We'll spend some time with Pastor Tom Baker teaching a Sunday school lesson on Saul becoming king, the first king of Israel. It'll be listener email on the Issues Etc. comment line. Then Paul Coleman of Alliance Defending Freedom International will bring us an update on the criminal trial of two Finnish Lutheran leaders for their statements on human sexuality. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, welcome back. Great to be back, Todd. What is the overall theme of the propers for this coming Sunday? I would say it's the danger of sin and the restoration of sinners. And I probably have left out the most important word there, which is the forgiveness of sins, which is going to tie this day together quite well, and is definitely going to be our focus. Now, we've leapt over transfiguration in our cruise through Matthew in year A, but in a way, this is pretty timely because we jump from one mention of the office of the keys when Peter makes his great confession here to the next one in Matthew chapter 18. Now that's quite a leap, but it's going to be very fruitful for us today as we focus in on this theme of restoration of sinners. That theme, by the way, has the potential to be lost in our Lutheran service book version of the three-year lectionary, which has greatly expanded the readings for today, and as a result has given us a lot of tantalizing side themes to choose, and I would definitely not fault any pastor who wants to take a moment to stop off for them. But one thing that was different from in our version of the lectionary from the Roman Catholic Church and from the revised common lectionary is the use of Psalm 32 as the psalm of the day, which is absolutely focused on the forgiveness of sins and really helps us center in that. And actually, in the end, as we look through it, I think you'll find 
that with further examination, this day really does hold together quite well, even in its external themes. Now, that might just be simply because the Bible obviously holds together. It can't be broken, and it's tied together in Christ Jesus. But I think the diligent pastor or layman who wants to consider these texts may find that once you've delved into it, there's more that connects it than you might have thought at first. You said side themes. What would those be? Well, I think two pop up from our longer epistle and our longer gospel. From the longer gospel reading, we get all of Jesus' discourse, which is tied together by this overarching theme of children, where he talks about them as a great example for faith, where he shows how dear they are to the Lord and gives the warning not to let any one of these little ones fall away or be led into temptation. So that'd be one theme that shows up from our extended gospel reading. From the extended epistle, we have all of Romans 13, which is certainly worthy of its own sermon, especially this part at the beginning about be submissive to the governing authorities, which none of the other lectionaries have for this day. That's something that Lutheran Service Book has chosen to expand and give us, in addition to the part that all the lectionaries have in common. Now, certainly what we have follows right on the heels of what we had last week and fulfills the kind of continuous reading through the book of Romans, but it does kind of give us something that is hard to resist, maybe you should say, as its own concise teaching from St. Paul. What would you say about the intro from Psalm 92? Psalm 92, we have the first few verses all together. How great are your works, O Lord! Your thoughts are very deep. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night, to the music of lute and harp, to the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Glory be. So we're speaking about the great works and thoughts of God leading to our praise of him by retelling these works. This is a theme that we had in our intro, especially after Pentecost, where it tied in with our gradual as well, and with the message of the Pentecost sermon that Peter delivered, that everybody was hearing in their own language the wonderful works of God, the magnificent works of God. As I look to fit this in with today, I got to say, it, I don't know if it does. There was once an idea that took root, especially in the latter part of the 20th century, that we ought to have a call to worship at the beginning of our services, and that that's what the intro it kind of was. But that phrase, call to worship, as a general category, kind of took off as a life of its own and almost became in some places, especially in other denominations, an excuse to sing just about any old song you want to kind of get people moving moving. And that idea, of course, comes out of revivalism more than it comes out of the history of the church or the Lutheran understanding of worship. You have a little bit of that feeling, for sure, in this psalm where it's mostly focused on praise and worship. But I do think it fits in with the collect, even though it has this general sense. And we're going to want to always show how the works of God are centered, not in everything in the world under the sun, but are centered in Christ Jesus. This is what Jesus himself says when he comes, that the scriptures testify about me. And so we're going to want to see that this steadfast love of the Lord that we're going to echo and declare each and every morning and even employ our instruments and our melodies, this steadfast love of the Lord is rooted in his forgiveness of sins. And thus, I think we can come back to this kind of general psalm of praise for his works that lead 
to salvation and all of its fruit that we see in our lives, that we can see this as kind of the daily rising and setting down our head at night of children of the Lord. And I think that'll tie in quite nicely to our extended gospel reading. What will we be praying in the collect? O God, from whom all good proceeds, grant to us, your humble servants, your holy inspiration, that we may set our minds on the things that are right and, by your merciful guiding, accomplish them through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the same collect that is used in the one-year lectionary on Easter 6, which is Rogate Sunday, all about prayer. What's interesting is through the editing process of the Lutheran service book, we can see that many of the same collects were used and reappropriated, put into different places in the three-year lectionary, but the translation committee didn't always keep them the same. So actually what we have today for proper 18a is a much more faithful and direct translation from the Latin of this collect. And actually it matches up much cleaner with the old Book of Common Prayer translation by Archbishop Cranmer that most listeners may be used to if they grew up with the Lutheran hymnal. So it's interesting that the one-year lecture actually has a much more modified version of this than we do here in the three-year. Now, this is not a collect that is centered in the forgiveness of sins very well, that kind of overarching theme that ties our main readings together. But it is applicable to all of the teachings that are put forward in today's text. And perhaps especially, it lays before us a childlike profession of faith. And I don't mean that insulting, just as our Lord doesn't mean to be insulting when he calls it childlike. In fact, the Lord lays it out as desirable for us. So does this collect. So notice the progression we have. God is the one from whom all good proceeds. You could think of creation, but good in every sense of the term. Therefore, what are we asking? Well, we are his humble servants, even his humble children, you might say. And we ask that he would inspire us. By what means does he inspire? His Holy Spirit, of course. And that he would inspire our minds in both directions. One, that they would think things that are right and good, just as he is good, that what he gives life to and rise to would also be occupying our minds, but also then that it would not just remain in our minds or on our words, but that it would also enter into our bodies, that we would be guided by this spirit-inspired mind to accomplish, to do all of the things that his merciful guiding would have for us. That might seem rather generic in some ways, but I think it, it perfectly fits with the life of a child, at least a child of the Lord. The Old Testament reading is a very familiar passage is from Ezekiel 33. So you, son of man, I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. So this is spoken to Ezekiel, and it's always good to consider first whether this is something specific to Ezekiel. But I think the church is recognized to describe Ezekiel as a watchman 
and to set him over the house of Israel is certainly the way the Lord has addressed all of his prophets. And then by extension from there, we see the similarities to the office of the ministry in the New Testament, where the Lord also sets his pastors, his servants as bishops, as overseers is the biblical term, to watch over quite literally the flock of God that's entrusted to them. So in many ways, this then has been applied to pastors, and I think it's rightly applied that way. There's even a way, I suppose, that we might apply it to every Christian, since we know that Cain was wrong when he asked that question, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes, all of us are called to care for one another, or as Paul says in Galatians, you who are spiritual, if anybody has the Holy Spirit, assist them, help those who are caught in transgression, and restore them in a spirit of gentleness. If we were to choose our own epistle, breaking away from Romans to fit with this day, I'd probably run to that one because I think it has both the call to those who are concerned for their fellow Christians, but also the source of that restoration, which is the forgiveness of sins, the spirit of God and his word. Ezekiel is exclusively focusing on the warning, we might say, but also it's not just calling people out on their mistakes. Uh, it's not just being a critic from the sidelines, but this is a task that has responsibility. And while we only have a small bit in today's text, this is familiar to us because it comes up a couple times in Ezekiel, especially in chapter 18, which might be the one we're even more familiar with, that expounds on this simple phrase here, that he may turn from his way, whether that's a wicked way or whether that's the proper way, which is the way of the Lord. And you'll remember in the book of Matthew, we've seen a couple times already how the way is in fact a name for the church itself. Properly speaking, the right way is the way of the Lord, who is the way, truth, and life. So uh, Ezekiel's purpose and all watchmen of God are not to just call people out for their failures, but to warn for a purpose, which is that they would be saved. So it's not just that we'd uh, correct the mistake and, and improve our efficiency and our process, but it's actually that they would be rebuked to be called to repentance, to receive the forgiveness of sins, which is the source of this life, after which then flows walking in the right way and correction as well. And this then is an essential principle for pastoral responsibility that comes from the love of God. Again, that Ezekiel 18 passage that ought to be tied closely to this one is, God desires not the death of a sinner, but that he would turn from his evil way and live. So it is the Lord's mercy that turns us from evil, but also puts us into the way that is a way of life rather than a way of death or to be resigned to trying to slave our way through everything. The Lord gives true life, and that's the kind of watchman that Ezekiel and all pastors are put over. So what's the principle we see here? It's both the breadth of the pastoral responsibility, but also its limit. So we see that the word of the Lord and its preaching to try and wake up sinners and call them to repentance so that they would seek the forgiveness of sins that the Lord has given in Christ Jesus. This is the goal. We don't want to just 
point out that people are sinners. We want them to recognize that they're sinners for the sake of being forgiven by God, which is the only way that they can be pulled out of this wicked way that leads to destruction. So that's the goal, and that's why the Lord is so serious to say, if you fail to warn somebody who is caught in sin, who's walking in a wicked way, or who is a sinner and is trying to get away with pretending, maybe only to themselves, that they're not, if you won't call them out on that, if you won't call them to repentance, pastor, you are failing in your duty. He may die, but I will require his blood on your hands. So this is the responsibility that pastors have to care for those in charge. James says the very same thing. Don't be so quick to become a minister because they'll be judged more strictly. They are those who must give an account to the Lord. They watch over your souls. So the same is true in the New Testament then as it was for Ezekiel. But we also see the limit with this. Notice he says that the watchman will have saved his own soul if he warns, and that'll be true even if his warning is not heeded. I think this should be a comfort to pastors too. Many times we never get to the part we're aiming at, which is the forgiveness of sins, the restoration, the turning of this person who's on the wicked path to see them come and join us in the way, which doesn't happen through our great preaching. It doesn't happen through our watching, but it happens through the Lord's mercy and the forgiveness of sins. That's always what a pastor warns for in order to bring into repentance for the sake of the forgiveness of sins. That's our goal. It doesn't always get that way. In fact, plenty of wicked people reject the warning, get all the more mad at you, and never listen to you again. It should be of some comfort that we have saved our own souls, the Lord says, that he asks us to be faithful in our task, even if that task should not appear to be successful. Because the success doesn't depend on us. That also means then we ought to attend to the faithfulness, knowing that the Lord's word will do its work. And if it doesn't work in the way we desire it or want it, we have to leave that to him. So let's make sure that we thank our pastors for warning us even if it is not pleasant at the time, they're doing their God-given task, which is to rebuke. And let's make sure also that their rebuke is not for the sake of rebuke or lording it over anybody, but always for the sake of calling to repentance that sins may be forgiven in Christ Jesus. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, and we'll be in the Psalm for the day, Psalm 32, right after this. Issues Etc. regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message. In a child's life, meaningful relationships matter when it comes to academic development and spiritual nurture. In Lutheran schools, students know they are uniquely and wonderfully made in God's image. Each day in over 1,800 Lutheran schools, children experience a rich, academic, loving, and Christ-centered environment where they can explore and develop their God-given talents and abilities. To find a Lutheran school near you, 
Visit lcms.org schools. Evangelical and Catholic. You're listening to Issues Etc. At Risen Christ Lutheran Church in Arvada, Colorado, we have simply become captivated by the hilarious notion that God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save the losers of this world. Losers just like us. We proclaim the biblical notion that God saves sinners. Embracing the historic liturgy of the church, we confess that we are just that, sinners. Visit us online at risenchristlutheran.org. Many educational institutions are governed by the whims of culture and are increasingly hostile to the Word of God. In contrast, Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, provides classical Lutheran education rooted in God's Word for students preschool through grade 12. Simply put, we equip students to stand firm in the faith through solid education focused on wisdom and virtue. We offer in-person instruction as well as live online classes for remote learning. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. On this Tuesday, September the 5th, we are looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the three-year lectionary, Pastor Sean Densry is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, we come now to the appointed psalm, Psalm 32. What do we find there? Again, this is a Lutheran service book choice, and I think it's a wise one, given the rest of the passages. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with songs of deliverance. Psalm 32 is one of the penitential psalms. There are seven of them. And of all of them, maybe with the exception of 103, I think this is one of the most positive. It's not simply a psalm of repentance in the narrow sense. I'm sorry for my sins. I'm acknowledging them before you. But it's also a psalm that gets to the forgiveness, the point of it. And I especially love that choice then for this day, where we'll see in Matthew 18, the goal is to restore our brothers It's not to cast them out, even if that becomes necessary. This psalm is valuable in so many ways. The first and most obvious is that this is where it talks about the imputation, the not counting transgressions against us. That's what truly makes blessed and saved is the forgiveness of sins. And the forgiveness of sins by God is that he doesn't count them against us. We might fill in the rest of it. He counts them against his son in our place, correct? So this is the covering over of sin that Christ does with his righteousness. It's not a dunghill with a little veneer of snow that'll easily melt away. This is the powerful covering and non-imputation of sin that God does in Christ Jesus through his death. And David, speaking of this long before that ever came to pass, he knows who the blessed man is. It's the one on whom Christ has bestowed his name. But what is especially wonderful about this psalm is that it lays out that 
aim from the beginning, then takes us through the painful process of confessing our sins and repenting, acknowledging our sins, leads us through also the benefit then of confession, which is not the greatest benefit. It's not the center of what we focus on in the teaching of confession absolution, as Luther said in the large catechism as well. But it leads us through that benefit as well to find the true benefit in the forgiveness of sins. So let me just walk briefly through this. Verse 2 says, as a parallel, lining up with somebody that he's not counting iniquity against is not somebody who's sinless, but somebody whose spirit doesn't have any deceit, is not two-faced anymore about his sin. That's the person who recognizes it. The person who says, yes, I am a sinner, who is confessing their sins. The person to whom a watchman from Ezekiel has come, and he has heard that he is on the wicked way and is seeking to be turned onto the proper way, right? He's heeding that call and that warning. He's honest about his sins. This is the desire of God. Notice to what dishonesty leads, destruction of ourselves. Obviously, we probably can't keep our sins from our neighbors very well either, but to bottle it up inside of us will be destructive. Many people have noticed kind of the psychological benefit of what's being said in verse three and four. You know, it's like this lie is like eating away at me inside. The sin that is unconfessed tears me down. It certainly is kind of true by experience and feeling. But notice there is a benefit then to confessing our sins, that we tell the truth, that we're not covering things over, that we're not two-faced about this anymore, but we are honest. And I think it's worthwhile, especially because we're Lutherans and we're so eager to jump sometimes to the forgiveness of sins, it's worthwhile to acknowledge that there is a positive and palpable benefit to confessing our sins. Getting it off your chest is not the point. Just blurting your sins out loud is not a godly thing. It's something that triggers or earns the forgiveness of sins, but it is something the Lord delights in. In fact, it's a fruit of what his working in us by the Holy Spirit, that at last we would tell the truth. And so I think that needs to be acknowledged. Confession is good for you. It may be a painful thing, but it's worth bearing with that pain, suffering through it, and pressing through it in order to receive the true and ultimate good that is the forgiveness of sins. We know verse 5 so well because it it's often part of our confession of sins in church. I acknowledge my sin I did not cover. I said I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. And it's important to see this is the way the Psalms work. This is not a one thing triggers the other. A is the cause of B. If I'm sorry enough, God will forgive me. But he wants to bring us into the truth, and then he wants to say, actually, my truth is even greater than this because I am, like verse 1 and 2 says, not counting your very real sins that you have acknowledged. I am not counting them against you for the sake of Christ Jesus. One last point. I just want to say this verse 7 has really been wonderful for me to see how God is a hiding place What does God do to the person whose transgressions are forgiven? The person who has acknowledged his sin, but also has delighted to hear the forgiveness of sins that Christ has proclaimed by his blood. God hides us from all the shame. He preserves us from all the affliction that may come, especially the consequences of sin that might not go better for you if you've admitted you've done wrong. Notice what he does in his church, though. He surrounds us with 
songs of deliverance. That actually is the theme of our 2024 Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music is drawn from this very verse that God surrounds us in the church with songs and shouts and the constant refrains of deliverance, of his salvation, of his forgiveness of our sins. And this is the purpose of everything we do and everything that is going on in the church. And the reason why we as Christians, not just the pastor, but everybody, are singing the praises of God and even the messages of his works to each other is so that we would be surrounded by the songs of forgiveness and deliverance. That basically it would be impossible for a Christian who knows his sin to walk away imagining that he's still in it and lost and condemned, but that he must know from all of his fellow Christians that the Lord Jesus and his salvation are for me. And that's the way the Lord has ordered his church. God be praised. We will be in the epistle for this coming Sunday, Romans 13, with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, as we look forward to Sunday morning, according to the three-year lectionary, right after the break. Was the reformer Martin Luther innovating or in error when he added the word alone to Romans 3.28, for we hold that one is justified by faith alone apart from works of the law? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. Journal. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. Donna Harrison details her journey to confessional Lutheranism from Catholicism, Scientism, Mysticism, and Evangelicalism. The free online Issues Etc. Journal. Just click the red journal subscription button at issuesetc.org. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com, lutheracademy.com. Theology for Blue Collar, White Collar, and Clerical Collar You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Atonement Lutheran, Glendale, Arizona. Divine Savior Lutheran, Divine Texas. Grace Lutheran, Columbus, Indiana. Emmanuel Lutheran, Frankentrost, Michigan. Messiah Lutheran, Kenosha, Wisconsin. 
Our Savior Lutheran, Whitefish Bay, Wisconsin. Redeemer Lutheran, Nashville, Tennessee. St. John Lutheran, Racine, Wisconsin. St. Paul Lutheran, New Haven, Indiana. And Trinity Lutheran, San Angelo, Texas. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including issues, etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're looking forward to Sunday morning with Pastor Sean Denzer, Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Right before the break, Pastor Denzer mentioned the 2024 Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music. The theme is Psalms in the Great Congregation. Next year's conference is July 9th through the 12th at Concordia University, Nebraska. Find out more at lcms.org slash worship, lcms.org slash worship. We come to the epistle reading as we continue to read through the book of Romans, the first 10 verses of Romans 13. Sure, we'll start right at the beginning of the chapter. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes, For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, any other commandment, are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The Roman Catholic Church and the Revised Common Lectionary both begin at verse 8. They skip the whole opening section about the governing authorities. And in some ways, that's wise only because I think it's hard to pass over that as a perennial topic to treat a whole estate of the world when the opportunity comes up. The Revised Common Lectionary goes on all the way through verse 14, which talks about the judgment of the world. It's very helpful to see that context in Paul. We've skipped it because that's Advent 1 of year A. It's also Advent 1 in the one year as well. But we see from Paul's speaking, which I'm not going to treat at length, but the Christian disposition is what he's addressing. And it's really not in accordance with the will of the rulers that our disposition is supposed to be settled, but it's with the will of God. And the assertion here is that the authorities are supposed to be acting according to God's will too, if he has set them up into that authority. For conscience sake before Christ, we are happy and glad to obey and submit, but that's always for the love of doing good. 
For the love of doing good, gladly we'll conduct ourselves in that good and expect to receive the approval of the government, at least if they have any wisdom. God's appointment and his purpose for rulers is also made clear in here. And Christian conduct is not really, shouldn't be at odds with what a ruler is to do. When the ruler punishes what is evil in God's sight, the Christian must only receive it as God's work. That's just, I do deserve that. God punishes wrongdoers and his rulers and his authorities will certainly be avengers for that. And I shouldn't be surprised to find that. Now, what's interesting and maybe especially trying for our times is Paul doesn't actually speak much about what to do when a ruler punishes what is good in God's sight, doing the opposite of his charge and his authority from God. And that's pretty interesting given the rulers that Paul had to deal with, people like Nero and Caesar eventually put him to death. I think actually the final comment may be the key, paying taxes, revenue. That's the kind of thing that he has in mind. That's not going to be contrary to God's command or Caesar's duties, even if he puts it to all sorts of strange uses sometimes. But Paul goes on to almost contradict everything he said, to actually make a turn and say, now let's talk about to one another. And here, we're not to owe each other anything. You look at the church and maybe they had all sorts of ideas about getting what is right for themselves. But what Paul says is, all we need to owe one another is love. Actually, that's an astonishing phrase. Love is a lot. This is exactly the same way that Jesus talks in the gospel so often, is it not? Where somebody comes saying, what must I do to be saved? And uh, Jesus says, oh, all you got to do is the Ten Commandments. All you got to do is love your neighbor and love your God. That's a small thing, right? At least one of the guys says, uh, well, I've done that from my youth. That's pretty easy. Oh, well, then you need something better. You should go and sell everything you have, Jesus says. Here, Paul really is following the exact same line, and he should know he certainly gave up everything he had, as we've heard elsewhere. We are to serve Christ with our conscience. So we're not serving the government with our conscience, as if our conscience were bound to them. It's bound to God. We serve our neighbors with love for the same reason, because our conscience is bound to God. We know that God loves them. We know that he has taught us his own love, and so has God loved us, so we love one another. And love, then, is the fulfilling of the law, just as Jesus taught it, too. And Paul can go on for days about that, of course. But I think that's helpful to see Paul and Jesus absolutely lining up and teaching. Again, the epistle readings for each day are not meant to match with the gospel reading for the day, but certainly there are plenty of gospel readings that we could tie up very nicely with what Paul has said quite directly here. The Gradual in the Verse Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. So today we have the saints who are gathered in love on account of the forgiving mercies of God, that he declares them righteous people. He binds us together with something great. And then nothing should be permitted to tear us apart. So I think we can see that there with fearing the Lord to be gathered together as those who are righteous, unafraid of the afflictions. This is the purpose of Matthew 18. It's not supposed to be some kind of Miranda rights or a laying out of a court, uh, so much as it to be the way of Christianity, which is to seek the restoration of our brothers and to be gathered together in his church.
We might also add the ongoing mission of the church really is rooted in that, that we want to declare and enact the Lord's deliverance constantly, whether that's for those who are outside the church, bringing them into it, or whether it's for those who are inside the church, straying in some way, caught in some kind of conflict. The whole Christian way of life is to gather us together. And I think the gradual speaks slightly to that, as does our verse, which is drawn from Matthew 5, something we heard a long time ago, but the Beatitudes. And that's this verse, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. This ties together well everything Jesus is about to say in our gospel reading about the childlike attitude of faith, which is a humble one, poor in spirit. But I think it would be especially fruitful for us also to connect the phrase poor in spirit to the attitude, the humility that is specific to acknowledging our own sin. That humility that was demonstrated in Psalm 32, where instead of trying to hold on to it and keep it quiet, where it grinds our bones away inside of us, we're going to be honest and call out to the Lord while we may and be confident in him. In fact, look to our neighbors to supply us what is lacking by surrounding us with the songs and constant reminders of his forgiveness. This is the Lord's way of entry into his kingdom. It's also the Lord's way of continuing and keeping us in his kingdom. It's by the forgiveness of sins, by his undeserved kindness to those who are humble, not to those who are proud and earning it, but those who, like a child, receive his donation, the donation of his very spirit to inspire and to lift up the poor. We will be in the gospel reading for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary with Pastor Sean Denzer right after the break. Sanctified us in the true faith. Listen to chapel services live weekday mornings from Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Morning Chapel from Kramer Chapel. Live weekday mornings at 9 Central, 10 Eastern, 8 Mountain, and 7 Pacific at issuesetc.org. Have you ever pondered the limits of archaeology? What can it tell us? What can't it tell us? Well, Dr. David Adams takes up this topic in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, where he discusses the fact that archaeology ultimately doesn't prove anything. It simply gives us the facts that have to be interpreted. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org slash witness, or the Lutheran Witness website, witness.lcms.org, to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. Confessional Lutherans, we've got your back. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. The days are shortening and it's soon back to school. 
At Crewsome has beautiful posters and art to adorn your home school or classroom, and we print them right here in our Colorado workshop. Come and see our various prints by Cronach, Holbein, Bonat, Tintoretto and Caravaggio. Stock up on our daily prayer posters, creed posters and other beautiful Christ-focused artworks. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Sean Denzer is our guest director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's helping us look forward to Sunday morning according to the three-year lectionary. Sean, we come to the gospel reading. It's Matthew 18, beginning at the first verse. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a little child, he put him in his midst of them, and he said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children... You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man came to save the lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of that one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven." And wherever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Well, a long passage for sure. And a long passage made up of a bunch of different points that are loosely connected. In fact, build a larger picture together. Uh, but are chained together uh, in Jesus' teaching. And I think that's what makes this a very difficult day in some sense. Even though we have that one theme, there are so many rocks in this mosaic that we might like to stop off and spend a lot of time with. Just for one of them, what man has a hundred sheep and will not leave the 99 to go follow the one? That's a whole parable of Jesus that you could devote an entire day and sermon on. 
and there are plenty of uh, wonderful musical pieces and hymns that could be sung alongside it. But alas, we have to choose on this Sunday and only comes around once every three years. Well, let's start briefly at the beginning. And we see that the, the cause of this whole discussion is who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And the Lord, as he often does, surprises us. It is not one of the sons of thunder. It's not Peter. It's not John the Baptist even, but it's like a little child. And this is well known to us because of the parallels that we use for holy baptism, where we point to this childlike faith that trusts the Lord and his promises and that is not afraid to be humble. This is what we hold up as the paragon as counterintuitive as that may be. So Jesus is doing that. He's also then, in the context of talking about children, warning strongly against those who would defile a child, especially by sin, which leads to his extreme warning against sin and the temptations that are out there to sin, which is it'd be better to cut off a hand or any other body part rather than lose salvation, rather than refuse to enter into the kingdom of God. I think we can see how this ties in well with the urgency of the Lord to his watchmen in Ezekiel, that a pastor, but we might also say in their vocations as parents or in many other vocations, the duty to speak the truth and to warn somebody who is in danger is central to the Christian faith. There's no way that you can bring out the I leave it to God to judge, or if Jesus were here, he wouldn't be so judgmental. No, clearly when it comes to somebody who is caught in sin and would dare to pretend like the best course of action is to ignore that it is a sin in the first place, the Lord is very concerned about this. Because to deny that, to refuse repentance, is simply to cut oneself off from eternal life to cut oneself off from even the possibility of forgiveness, the person who refuses even to acknowledge the condition in the first place. So well-known passages in a way, often heard in isolation from another, but when we put them together, I think we see especially the urgency with which the Lord wants to call for repentance, and not just because the Lord hates bad stuff, but because the Lord actually loves his children. He loves, in fact, the whole world. We know well from Timothy that it is his desire that all would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Kind of the equal and opposite saying from Ezekiel 18 that God doesn't desire or love or delight in the death of a sinner, but actually wants to see him turn back, brought home, just like that sheep. So this is the goal. This is the purpose for which the Son of Man has come to save the lost. There's so much that can be said about that. The law and the gospel are all contained in that one sentence, that there are lost people, and how would you identify those people, and and who are they? In fact, they're the whole world uh, due to the corruption of sin that runs rampant in each of our hearts. And yet the Lord has come precisely to save those people, to rescue them, to deliver them, and to keep them in that deliverance. Here, then, is what leads to his well-known among us discussion of the church and its work together, the church and its family attitude and family undergoings, that brother is to come to brother when there's been a sin between them and gain their brother back. 
it's a beautiful passage. I think we often, uh, at least in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, hear it almost in terms of legal battles or a process because, because we do treasure this process, what the Lord has given us for the sake of the forgiveness of sins. So shame on us if we treat it not with that aim, but with some kind of purely legalistic process. I am sure that that will not be the topic of the sermon, but instead the sermon will be urging just the kind of joy that we see in Psalm 32 and the joy that lies behind the warning in Ezekiel 33 that the Lord really wants all to be saved, to be forgiven, and to be bathed in that forgiveness constantly, which is what leads to this, go to your brother if he's sinned against you, tell him his fault, warn him, but for the sake of gaining him back through the forgiveness of sins. If that doesn't work, get a friend, that both of you may establish this, that he might not think it's a false accusation or something personal, but that it actually indeed is for his welfare. And finally, that this becomes the whole church's business, that it's our desire to surround them with the songs of deliverance. We beseech you by the mercies of God to be delivered. And only then, if it can't be helped, then we'll have to comfort ourselves with the sort of message we had from the watchmen that they may die in their iniquity, but we may have saved our own souls in this sense, that we've done what was our duty. We've warned urgently. We haven't given up for our part, but we acknowledge that maybe this person has, and that's sad, but we can't overcome it by some power of our own. Everything we have is from the Lord. That's why to be gathered in his name together is the solution. To be gathered in the very same name that is always bestowed on us, whether it's in holy baptism, whether it's the beginning and last word of every service, and especially that I forgive you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. This is the name that absolves us, that surrounds us with the name of deliverance. What would you say about the hymn of the day, 820, My Soul Now Praise Your Maker? About a minute or two. 820 is based on Psalm 103, so close, kind of a miss. But Psalm 103, like I said, is very similar to Psalm 32 in that it really front loads the forgiveness. It doesn't just take us through the sorrows and the depths as maybe the word penitential sounds to us, but it is exactly the sort of repentance that is constant in the Bible that we see, for instance, at the end of Luke, repentance into and for the forgiveness of sins, that it is a total 180 change. And that doesn't happen by our turning ourselves around, but turn us, O Lord, and we shall be turned as Jeremiah sings in the Lamentations. This hymn talks really kind of comprehensively about the Lord's great redemption. There's hints of childlike fear, which is perfect in stanza three. And I suppose even the fourth one speaks about the Lord's ruling of the world. His rule is over all. You might bring in those authorities in Romans. I think especially stanza two. As far as the east is from the west, as high as heaven, as far as dawn from the close of the day, so far does he put our sins away. This is the forgiveness of sins that makes us joyful, that binds his church together in which we live as his children. Pastor Sean Denzer is Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Sean, thanks. My pleasure. In Hour 2 of Issues Etc., Pastor Tom Baker joins us first. We'll be teaching a Sunday school lesson, Saul Becoming King, in 1 Samuel chapters 8, 10, and 11. Then we'll be spending some time with you, our listeners, via listener email and the Issues Etc. comment line. 
That email address, talkback at issuesetc.org. The comment line, 618-223-8382. And then Paul Coleman of Alliance Defending Freedom International will join us for an update on the criminal trial of two Finnish Lutheran leaders for statements on human sexuality. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. The Third Commandment teaches us to remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We do this when we hold God's Word sacred and gladly hear and learn it. Jesus invites the weak and heavy laden to rest in Him, our true rest, because His yoke is easy and His burden is light. This weekend, rest in Jesus as you hear His Word and receive His gifts. If you are in Southern Illinois, you're invited to join Trinity Lutheran Church in Milstadt to rest in the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Learn more at trinitymilstadt.org. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra, and choir. For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website, withangelsandarchangels.org. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com.